Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done uh, many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also check out the 5 star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume 1 available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Just when you thought that there were already too many podcasts in the world. Here comes another one. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Oh my God. Who does he think he is? Come around here with his bloody podcasts. Hey kids, welcome to another episode of Pablo's Poppin' Podcast. I hope everyone's doing okay. Um, it's Valentine's Day coming up and I'm single, so, you know, um, if anyone wants to send me a card, that'd be great. So, you know, if there are any other fucking losers out there, like me, um, <laughs> you know, Valentine's Day's, you know, it, you know Valentine's Day is kind of weird because I like to eat out a lot, which explains why I'm so out of shape. And on Valentine's Day, you can't do that because one, every all the good restaurants are going to be booked, and two, if you do manage to get a seat, you're going to be sat there like you know a, a weird loner just eating your food, staring at the space. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try and hang out with some friends on Valentine's Day. Some other single, you know, loner loser friends who uh, you know understand the plight of uh, being single on Valentine's Day. Um, for those who do have a partner, um, especially if you're a wrestling fan, especially like a really nerdy wrestling fan, if they can put up with your nerdiness, then keep a hold of them. You know, they stay with them forever because, you know, they they are keepers, basically. Um, you know, I understand that, you know, if you've got a girlfriend and or a boyfriend uh, and they like sort of, you know, the good looking dudes and women who, you know, basically wrestle in their underpants um, on TV, uh, you know, that's a reason for them to watch it and you have to kind of explain, you know, what's going on half the time because they don't give a shit. They just want to watch, you know, men and women 
you know, scantily clad, uh, wrestling each other. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, if you've tuned into the show for a long time, you know that these intros go anywhere. I never plan what I'm going to say, so, you know, um, I could probably get sued or get in some kind of trouble for some of the shit I say, but, you know, it hasn't happened yet, so, and we've been going about a year, so that's pretty good going. Um... This week, apparently this happened last month and I didn't know about it, uh, legendary voiceover man Jim Fagan passed away. Um, he is, well, within the wrestling world, he's uh, best known for uh, doing the intro to every pay-per-view, Raw, etc. Uh, during the New Generation era, the WWF for over 50 years, the Revolutionary Force in sports entertainment. And he also did... Uh, many of the pay-per-views and just he did tons of stuff you don't realize that it's the same person you know he did the advert for mania at the time um you know he's uh he did survivor series 96 you know he did like the super soaker stuff his voice is everywhere and he was he worked there in for wbf as as well as nfl nba uh, nbc sports and the olympics and just tons of commercials as well but he worked there until 1999 which i didn't realize because freddie blassie started doing a lot of the voiceover stuff uh especially on the pay-per-views but yeah no he passed away last month and it's it's one of the you know it's always a little sad because it's a voice that i hear quite a lot because my era is basically 84 to about 97 like i loved the attitude era at the time and i talk about this on other things as well you know i loved it at the time but i from you know the night post wrestlemania 14 basically and i still watch it now but not nearly as much as i used to but anything before that i watch an unhealthy amount of times um you know let me know what's your favorite pay-per-view also you know I've, I've got the monthly show with uh, colin delaney um who's awesome former wf superstar and uh called turnchuckle and we are both old school <coughs> as he stops to cough uh we are both old school wrestling fans and you know the first interview i did with him it was meant to be about his career and everything else um and we ended up just talking about wrestlemania 9 um generally regarded as one of the worst wrestlemanias of all time we love it um so that gives you a bit of an idea of, you know about the various uh, directions as you know you probably heard a facebook noise then i should probably turn that off uh, the various directions that we go with turn chuckle and um check it out as well as previous episodes of pablo's pop and podcast where i've been lucky enough to interview various wrestling personalities um it's hard when you know i'm not the biggest platform in the world and it's hard to get wrestling personalities um sometimes to agree to be on the show uh, because again, I don't have the biggest platform out, you know, in the world. It's something that I'm trying to grow, and the fact that you have tuned in, you know, I really, really appreciate that. Uh, you are helping the podcast grow, and I hope you like it and share it, etc. Um, but I like to think that any wrestler, uh, wrestler or wrestling personality that I've had on the podcast, they know that I'm a big fan, and it really is an honor for me to talk to these people because, you know, I'm fascinated by probably, you know the most minute details sometimes uh stuff that they've probably forgotten about but you know i want to know about them as well you know their real personalities and um as a wrestling fan you know you try to well i try to at times separate the real person from the character because you know there are wrestlers who are just awful people um and but i love their character sort of thing uh and we go into that in you know my interview with ahmed johnson not necessarily about him, about uh, some other people, but I never try to make these interviews like 
just shit digging expeditions um you know i want to know about their career uh we do go off into various subjects but it, this interview is kind of weird because you know um ahmed doesn't really do that many interviews and um there's a chance that this i look I, I i'm not trying to build myself up as something that i'm not but this could be picked up by like newsletters by different youtube channels and stuff because he does say some controversial things and it's a two-part episode um and you know he, he said that he wanted it to be no holds barred and i tried to do that and i know that when you do when you enter the wrestling online oh, i hate to say um not journalism <laughs> um sort of you know you're putting out content wrestling related content online so you become immediately criticized by you know many people basically they'll think they may think i'm a shit interviewer um you know i, t I told that i told ahmed this as well i was like you do realize that some people are gonna think that you're full of shit and he was like i don't care and, and he's quite within his right to not care and uh, you know what he says it's open to interpretation i take i am taking everything that he says as the truth um, he says stuff that other people have said differently about certain things. You know, it's it's one of those things. We weren't there. Um, we don't know if Ahmed was meant to be the WWF champion. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, he was, you know, going to have title shots on pay-per-view. That he was injured. And, you know, there was a title shot he was going to have on Raw against Shawn Michaels after winning the Battle Royal. And it was a legit injury. Um, so, you know, it's a very honest interview. And, um... You know, it, it was an absolute honor to be able to uh, chat to him, um, especially, you know, it's such a rare um, thing that he has done and he's done it for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful. And, you know, I know that in some parts of the interview, I may come across like a suck up. It's not sucking up. I'm just genuine, gen generally, genuinely, no, genuinely, that's the word, um, a fan. And, you know, I, I mark out. I don't care. I'm sure he probably enjoyed that I marked out that I'm a fan of his. Um, and I'm a fan of that entire period as well. These, you know, when you're younger, things stick with you. Um, you know, they have a dramatic effect on you and they can shape your life. And, you know, there's a reason why, you know, if you look at my wrestling collection now, there's, you know, it's all old school stuff and it, there's a lot of it as well. Um, it had a massive effect on me. I mean, obviously not enough to become a professional wrestler. I didn't really see myself, you know, getting the shit kicked out of me on a, and you know, regular um, occurrence and you know, getting hit over the head with chairs and stuff like that. Um, but you know, some of my best friends I made through wrestling, um, through our love of wrestling, and um, you know, it, again, it, it's just a, a big thing for me to be able to do this. And you know, I, <laughs> I'm still learning as an interviewer as well. Um, I like to think I am better than some people who are doing it. Um, you know, I put everything into it and you know, I like to think that my interviews are more natural because I am genuinely a fan and I want to know stuff about people and, you know, etc. So yeah, like, I'm not trying to make excuses. The interview is what it is. I really like it. I hope you like it as well. Um, for those who are familiar with what I do, a little bit of business now before we get into the interview. Um... I am a self-employed musician. Uh, I make music under the name Toxic Melons. And if you would like to support the show, you heard the sponsor at the start, 15 Showfire Tips for uh, Relieving Back Pain. It's available on Amazon. There's a link under the podcast on podbean.com. Um, 
you know, <coughs> as, he, as he coughs again. <coughs> so yeah, obviously we get ill as soon as I start doing these things. Um, do check it out. If you support the sponsor, the sponsor supports me, basically. And uh, it helps keep me running. And, you know, it, I don't make a lot of money from what I do. Um, you know, I do various things. I make music. I teach. You know, I have the podcast. Um, and it's just a little bit of money to help me continue to do what I love, basically. Um, and to do what I hope I'm good at. And hopefully, you know, entertains the people. <laughs> hopefully um so yeah do check it out 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain if you are you know if you uh, do sports and stuff like that athletics you know it's probably really handy to have something like that it's a good present for someone um best presents you know as you get older and probably a bit more boring uh, the best presents are the practical ones that you can use over and over again um so yeah i highly recommend it um also so yes toxic melons the music that i make if you are into the beatles elo the beach boys zombies queen that sort of classic pop rock lots of melodic hooks etc um you may like what i have to offer and i if you would like to visit toxicmelons.bandcamp.com i will be playing a song from my new ep before the interview which features Roger Joseph Manning Jr who is who is a big name in his own right and he is currently in Beck uh, Beck's touring band um, and he's worked with just about everyone and it, he is one of my heroes yeah it's 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 a ridiculous thing that I've been able to contact and work with and um, you know uh, communicate with and be promoted by my heroes in all fields in wrestling and music um, so yeah do check it out and I hope you enjoy it um, before we go into that, after the interview, I'll be telling you about what's coming up. Some more wrestling personalities lined up, uh, former WWF personalities that you may be very much interested in who don't give many interviews. Um, and this is part one of the interview with Ahmed Johnson, so I hope you really enjoy it. Uh, do like it, share it, comment, download, etc. Um... Where was I going with any of that? Uh, yes, so <laughs> we're going to go, without further ado, because I know I'm holding everything up now, uh, this is a song by myself, Toxic Melons, and this is called Today Didn't Go, and um, I hope you enjoy it, and if you like it, like I say, you can buy it from toxicmelons.bandcamp.com, and then we'll be going straight into my interview with the one and only Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> Nothing left for me and the 
So today on Pablo's Poppin' Podcast, we are making some history. This is an interview that many have wanted and have been turned down for. I'm not entirely sure what I did right to get today's guest on the show, uh, but I'm not going to question it. He is the first African-American singles champion in WWF history, a fact which is criminally overlooked by the WWE today. He was one of the biggest names of the most important transitional periods in WWF's history. He is a former Dallas Cowboy, a legit badass and an athlete and he loves his UK fans and I'm a big fan of his. I have with me Mr. Tony Norris aka Ahmed Johnson. How are you doing today? I'm good baby in UK. Excellent man. How was that for an introduction as well? Hey, outstanding, outstanding. <laughs> UK all the way baby, UK all the way. Excellent. It's all going to go downhill from here so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, you're looking good, man. So, are you, what are you doing at the moment? Are you uh, on a on a regime or? Uh, yeah, man. Just you know, uh, when I got out the hospital, you know, I went to have back surgery. When I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital for eight months. Man, eight long months. And uh, when I came out, man, I was like, ooh, I was bloated. Yeah, and so I started back training, man, trying to you know get myself together. But it's hard to do, you know, with the back surgery and all. But did that make so you? I, you did some public appearances as well. But did that make you not want to go out too much until you were getting until you got back yeah. into shape? I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I went out so after I had back surgery. I went out and did some public appearances. Plus my um, man, going out like that. With your back surgery, I couldn't even stand up hardly, you know. I could only stand up like for five minutes. Yeah. Then your back would start you know, crumping down on you. So what led to that? Was that just injuries piling up from wrestling or Yeah. From then football. Yeah. Um yeah, I think people forget as well that, you know, um you did some crazy things in the ring. Um you know, for someone your size, you would do planches over the top rope. Um you know, you came along before Goldberg, who would be kind of the equivalent at the time 
Um, but you know, people forget that you and I don't think WWF promoted this enough that you were a legit athlete, former Dallas Cowboy, etc. And um, yeah, like I say, I don't think you got nearly the credit that you deserve for what you did well, at the time, brother. I'll tell you some stuff that nobody even knew, not even WWF. First of all, this is the first. I need to tell nobody this. First of all, people didn't realize when I was in the tenth uh, grade. All the way through, I started training lions and tigers at Circus World. Yeah, at Circus World in Haines City, Florida. You can check that out and never verify that. At Circus World in Haines City, Florida, I was a lion and tiger trainer. I trained uh, lions and tigers and black panthers and leopards for the circus in Haines City, Florida. How'd you end up and with I, that job? Yeah, that, that, that was me, man. And um, <laughs> then also I was in the military, special ops. WWF never knew that. I never told them that because, like me and you discussed, you know, once I knew they would take that for a gimmick, and I didn't want a military gimmick. You know, it's been done so many times and so dried up. Yeah, especially during that time, though, as well, when everyone had a gimmick. Um, it could, it could have easily happened. I mean, you came in late '95 and that time period, I don't think there was anyone else who came in around that time who lasted more than a couple of months, maybe because of the, the gimmick got old really, really quickly. Um, right. And I, I remember watching it at the time as well. You came in like a legit badass, and just, it really stood out and I can understand why, you know, it, you were relatable because you were real. You weren't trying to portray right. anyone else. Um, like, did you, yeah. who gave you the name Ahmed Johnson? Was that something from your background? Uh, uh, Ahmed's uh, an African name. It means worthy of praise. Uh. And Johnson is the most commonly used name in slavery. Okay. So I put them together for respect. It's Ahmed Johnson. Cool. So Vince, like, is that who you brought it to, or was it Pat Patterson or someone like that? Uh, I took it to Vince, and from there, you know what happened to it. They made you sign it over. Oh man, it's just just highway robbery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 get into that. Um, you mentioned that you were uh, part of the United States Army. Um, I I did get some info from your Wikipedia page. So tell me if any of this is you know not fact because obviously people can just update wikipedia without you know um it said that you were later discharged uh due to striking your captain over viewing his orders as cowardly uh which i can kind of imagine (laughs) like so that is true yes very true wow so um, what happened then did you end up uh in jail because of that or was it just a discharge i got got sent to stockade I got sent to stockade for like <laughs> six months, for which it was fun. Honestly, it really was because they respected me so much for that and the fact that I was, you know, special operations to be people who know not to mess with you. Mm-hmm. And then they respect the fact that I turned down a, a cowardly order. What was the order? Uh, I don't know if I can tell <laughs> Okay. I'll tell you the bits that I can tell you. Uh-huh. It was um, one of me to go in with my four-man team, and we were supposed to do some damage to 
somebody who had a wife and kids in there, and I, I wasn't about to do it. Okay. I can't swear with that and everything, but uh, I turned, I, I refused to do it. And then he got in my face with it, you know, and that was cut, boom. So when was, this was early 80s, I'd imagine. Do I now? Was this the early 1980s when you were? Yeah, going? sir. So what was uh, going on at the time in terms of war and stuff like that at the time? Because obviously I'm younger, so was there a chance that you could have been fighting for, for your country? In, in the military, brother, honestly, there's always something going on, whether you hear about it or not. That's the only reason I told you I can't tell you exactly where it was at. But there's always something going on. Uh-huh. I promise you, every day of the year, there's a private situation going on that the media and nobody else is, you know, privileged to know or can know for certain reasons. And even if we don't go in, even a special op, even if we didn't go in as Americans, we go in as UK. All we did was put your uniforms on and go take care of business. Sometimes we would join you from different countries, go in as, you know, yeah. your troops. How, how would you feel now um, with, I mean, with Donald Trump being president, which is still unbelievable, um, with the sort of, uh, with the United States Army, if Donald Trump says, right, I want you to go to war. Do you, would they have to do it? I guess, even if they disagreed with Donald Trump's um, views or whatever. I mean, right? How, yeah. I mean, how how do you would could there be like a mutiny or something like that, or just a, a massive backlash if they're fighting for something that they don't believe in? Right. Even if something you don't believe in, you usually carry it out. You know, unless you got the balls to stand up to whoever's saying it. But I guess that yeah. would—I would guess that would be a criminal offense, maybe. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So being a direct order. Yeah, it's an offense. But if Donald Trump called it something and it was legit, yeah, somebody was trying to hurt my country, which means my family, my people. Yes, I would go ahead and do it. But if he called something, say like my captain did, going there and hurt them, well, they're not, you know, even on this list. And, uh, you know, they're just basically in the way. Mm-hmm. And there's a kid and a lady in there. I ain't, I'm not doing it. I don't care who gives the order. I'm not doing it. Yeah. That's understandable. I mean, it's going to be a long four years, I think. It's just worrying. I want to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. Nightmares running through my brain. Mm, I think, yeah, a lot of people, well, most everyone I know feels the same. It's, um, it's definitely worrying but um let's let's go back uh you attended the university of tennessee but you left uh soon after to play for the dallas cowboys so did you leave during a semester or like were you spotted um like on like the uh, university sports team or something like that what what happened was i went to a um, job corps first not to job corps and then uh they have what they call scout camp Okay. Where the, um, people come out from the teams and they scout, you know, talent that wasn't drafted and anything. And so I took a friend to scout camp. I wasn't going. I just got the military. I wasn't going to scout camp. And a friend of mine was going. So I, you know, went with him to watch him. 
And while I'm sitting in the stands, there's this old white guy came up to me named Bob Eccles. And he's like, aren't you trying out? And I'm like, no, I'm just here with my friend. Okay. And he said, you should try out. I was like, no, I really don't want to. This guy left and came back with some shorts and some cliques. And I said, now I'm obligated because you wouldn't brought this stuff. Now I got to try out. So I went out there without any intentions, without any training leading up to that. And out of 200 guys, four of us made it. Wow. Only four guys made it. And I was one of them. That's impressive. So were you um, bodybuilding, I guess, at a young age? Because I can't imagine a, like a weedy, skinny, you know, Tony <laughs> Norris, to be honest. Like, yeah. uh, did you start really young? Oh. No, uh, honestly, I was a little skinny Tony Norris. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to that. But I, yeah, I was. I was very, very skinny, man. Uh-huh. And then I didn't start getting... Uh, real big until like the 12th grade is when, you know, you get that first pubic hair going and then, you know, you're becoming a man. And then, you know, I started hitting the weight room like crazy uh, and uh, went from there. Cool. So I, like, what was your hair like? Did you have a flat top or no, <laughs> it, I, it was the eighties, man. Like, you know, I had hair and had a real long ponytail. I can't imagine that. I would like to think that you had a big afro, to be honest. But <laughs> I had my hair was like slipped back a little bit, and I had a long ponytail that came all the way around. Uh-huh. So, did you cut that off when you joined the army? Then I'd imagine. No, let me tell you how that happened. Okay. <laughs> I went to this guy, <clears throat> this new barber that my girlfriend told me to go to. To get my hair cut. So I'm sitting there, you know, I'm smelling some liquor a little bit, but I'm like, so what? Everybody takes a little, you know, sip here and there. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden I felt, eh. And the pointer was behind me. So I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not even going to ask him that he kept my ponytail. Uh-huh. I'm not even going to ask him. So when we got done, I was like, how much do I owe you? Uh, you don't owe me nothing, man. You don't owe me nothing. So I don't owe you anything. Uh, no, you don't owe me anything, man. I, I accidentally cut, cut your pony job. Man, I was pissed. Uh-huh. <laughs> it took forever to grow that ponytail. So when you were younger, did it take a lot to piss you off? Or, um, like, what? No, you're not. Were people kind of were people maybe intimidated because you were big at the time and uh, they knew not to piss you off? Uh... No, I was little at the time, you know. But the, my everybody's good guys told my wife, you know, at the reunion, I was the quietest guy you ever met in school. Uh-huh. I, they always thought something was wrong with me because I wouldn't associate with people and I wouldn't talk to people. And even my wife freaked out when he told her that. I was the most quietest, mellow guy. But, like they told it, if you made him mad, it was like pissing off a hurricane. Because <laughs> so I would lose it. I can imagine. I can imagine. But that probably helped on the uh, on the football pitch. Oh, big time. Yeah. You hit that on the head. So what position did you play? Uh, I played a little bit of linebacker, a little bit of defensive end. Mm-hmm. 
so how many uh, seasons did you did you, and did you get injured? Is that what happened? Yeah, okay. just two. Uh, I messed my shoulder up pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I ripped it up pretty bad, but it's it's you know I got it together, but it was too late then. See that it seems uh, once you injure yourself as a football player, that's it. Like one injury, like completely write you off, sort of thing. Um, well, they hit so hard that injury's going to occur again and again and again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine. So, uh, you, did you do uh, the one season with uh, the Cowboys? No, no, two. Oh, you did two. Cool. Yeah. So after after the injury, uh, was there a, a plan or like? Because d- did you watch wrestling growing up, or was you really didn't know what was going to happen next? Didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what was going to happen yet. Then, be honest with you, um, I was homeless for a while. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And um, after that, um, I, I didn't make any plans. I didn't know which end was up. I was young back then. You know, I spent all my money because, you know, you thought you were going to play forever. Mm. You know, and I got plenty of time to save money. And I didn't do it back then. And, man, I paid for it big did, time. Did you have, um, because you have went into um – your childhood with your dad. Uh, so did you have a more stable sort of father figure as you were growing up, like instead of your dad? Um, not really. Like someone, uh, who, someone who would tell you to look after your money and stuff like that. Or? Well, not really. My, the closest thing I had to a father figure, I would say growing up was, uh, Dave McMillan, the, the, the guy who I trained lions and tigers with. Okay. He was like my, my mentor, and I lived him for a while. Um, real little slender white dude, man, is crazy. From uh, He's from the U.K., as a matter of fact. Really? He's from the U.K. I forgot about that. <laughs> One of your, your homeboys. He uh, took me, man, and that's why I started raising lines of tigers. Because um, he took me in, man, like I was his son. Hmm. You know, and he, he kept in touch with me. We just recently lost touch uh, when I started, you know, wrestling. But if you ever get a chance, you can look him up. His name is Dave McMillan, and he's the guy who I trained Lion Tigers with. And he so, was like my dad, what, my brother. What made him come to the states um, from the UK, especially to do something as crazy as uh, crazy as that? Did he have a circus yeah. in the UK or? I don't know if y'all did or didn't, but this is where uh, Ringling Brothers and Bob and Baby Circus was. Okay. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, heard I, of them, but I don't know. No. They're the biggest circus in the world. Wow. And he was a lion and tiger, you know, performer for him, mm-hmm. and I was his head trainer. Wow, that's really cool. Um, so I mean, because we've chatted and you said that we can go anywhere and no. that you're you know, fine to be just completely open and say things that you've never said before. Um, right. With your time at the WWF, you did a, you did a particular interview for uh, the magazine and I, you probably remember the, uh, the uh, promo uh, for the Attitude Era um, where I think you actually said on TV that you never knew your dad. Oh no, no. Um, there was, oh, I think actually, it may have been someone else who said that it was maybe Ken Shamrock, but you did actually go into 
your history on the advert. Do you right. remember? Do you remember filming that? Um, were they? Uh, did they just tell you to be honest with that kind of thing? Yeah, they just asked, man, and I, you know, it, it was said for the fans. And once you tell me it's for the fans, I'm going to be real because fans recognize bullshit. Yeah, they recognize when you're bullshitting them. They recognize when you're not being you. And I think that was part of the Ahmed Johnson flair was they know they were going to get the truth from me. Mm -hmm. And I was going to be as real as I could be. Yeah. And that's what basically what happened. Cool. Um, because, you know, things did get pretty violent with your, um, with your dad. Um, oh, yes. From what, oh, yes. from what you've told me as well. So um, did, were you an only child? Or you, no, you had brothers. Yeah, there's there's uh, eight of us. Oh wow! So, um, was it kind of uh, mom and dad both raised you, or was it just a single parent kind of thing? No, uh, no, they they both was there, but it was so abusive until you prayed for no parents. Just put it like that. Mm -hmm. It was that. It was that abusive till. You know, I, I I ran away several times. I just, man, it it was it was bad. Mm -hmm. It was bad. And, and, and we, I, I will get off this as well, but um, I'm I'm really fascinated by it, and I'm really like sort of, um, I guess privileged that you're talking to me about it as well. So, um, were you the oldest of the um, of the family? Or no, I was I was the middle child. Okay. So did uh, your did your older siblings kind of uh, step in as that kind of um, protective figure as well? Or? I said I would be honest. No. Okay. No, they they, they didn't. What? I, I tell you, I can tell you about the worst beating I got. Um, okay. You you, you, wanna, you, you, me you mentioned something to me, and it's if if. You are happy to bring well, not happy to bring this up, but you know, it, it's completely up to you. Like I, like I said, I'm, well, I I'm privileged that you're you're bringing this stuff up because obviously it's uncovering scars and stuff. And I, you know, I don't want to do that. Well, it's about being. You know, I tried to make the show as kind of positive as possible, but also I like it when the guest is honest. And if you want to be honest, then that's that's awesome. I think. Right. Well, I'm, I, and I hope this this can help somebody else out and know that if they're going through abuse, that they can still make it in life. Yeah. That you still can become somebody. You don't have to go to drugs and bow down to society's rules. But uh, yeah, what um, I was telling you about was one time my sister had a piggy bank, and uh, you know what that is, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. I just know we had different terms for it or not. But she had a piggy bank and uh, she couldn't find it. So automatically, they thought one of us had stowed it, stowed her money. So my dad lined all of us up, the boys, made us take off our clothes, all our clothes, everything. Mm -hmm. And he started beating us with a stinching cord with a wire wrapped around it. And he just beat us, beat us, and I couldn't take my brothers watching my 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 brothers take the beating. 
So I told him, my baby brother, I told him to tell him I did it. Right. And they were, you know, they were just, they were scared and just like I was. But he said, Tony did it. Tony did it. I saw him. And my dad said, did you do that? Did you steal that money? And I was like, yes. And he said, well, you mean tell me you stole that girl's money and you sit here and watch your brothers take a beating? Man, next thing I know to do, hit me, boom. My dad's about 300-something pounds. He hit me, and I remember going down, and he took the bump beds and flipped them over on top of me. And I'm butt-necking, now you got to remember this. And he just worsened like a slave with a whip, you know, just. And I just passed out from the pain. When I woke up, he had beat the skin off my penis. The skin was gone off my penis. I, the beating was that bad. And there was blood and, man, meat all over the wall. Man, I'm telling you, it looked like somebody had took a slaughtering machine and slaughtered an animal in my bedroom. And they wouldn't take me to the hospital. All he did was take some grease, and he kept putting Vaseline grease on me every night. Was, and he, was, was he scared that the, the cops would... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he was, he was scared. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't take a child in there like that and don't expect the, the child to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like in bed for like a month because I couldn't get up from the sores and stuff. I I can't even begin to imagine, you know, what that must have been like. I mean, so was that was it incidents like that that made you want to, you know, get out of there, get out of that situation and just be, right. be, be the best that you can be sort of thing, you know? Right. And I think, the, see, the reason why the kids in school didn't understand why I was so quiet, that's why I was so quiet because at home I was, you know, getting beaten and stuff. Yeah. And I didn't have too much to say to anybody. I can remember going to uh, football practice and being so cut up from his whippings until the back of my legs start bleeding through my football pants as a kid. Mm. So and did like t- did teachers notice that? And you know, I told my teachers. Okay. They did nothing about it. Wow. Nothing. Did at school um, during that time as well? Did you experience like racism as a kid? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, every, you know, yeah, everybody has, you know, in the United States back then, mm. you know, but back to my father real quick. I think the reason the teachers didn't say anything was my father belonged to a motorcycle gang called the Road Knights. Okay. And they were people that the cops wouldn't even pull over. They come down the, the street, 25 Harley Davidson's, you know, speeding. And the cops would be sitting there and they'd just sit there because they'll go to the cop's house and take his family out. They were, they were, they were vicious. So that's why the teachers didn't want to get involved. They were scared. Ah, uh, see, I thought, I thought it might possibly have been a prejudice kind of um, deal. Yeah, no, they were just scared, man, you know, because mm-hmm. they knew that the, the, the gang, the motorcycle gang would have came back and got them. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, um, it, was it incidents like that, that that specifically made you uh, move away then? Did you just run away and not tell your parents? Or? Yeah, it was 
that instance like that. Yeah. So what about your other um, brothers and sisters? Did they like sort of stay uh, behind or did they end up moving on as well? Or? My brother Kenny, he left too. And uh, he's now um, chief of police. He is. I've seen your post on yeah. Facebook. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's chief of police now. Maybe he can go back and arrest him for half <laughs> See what the justification uh, laws on that. Yeah. But yeah, he's chief of police now. He left too. And we're, you know, the, the two that got out of there. And, um, you know, everybody else pretty much stayed. Mm-hmm. Were they worried for your mom? Or? Well, you know, it, that, that's a funny situation, too, because I, I love my mom. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But out of fear or whatever, I, I just don't understand her not stepping in. And just one night, throwing us all in the car and taking us away somewhere. I, I can I can understand it to a point though. She may have been scared, or she may have. I'm, I'm assuming she loved him as well, even though you know, right. he, did, he did awful things. And you know, you can see the good in anyone, I guess, if you love them enough. Um, right. Good. Good way to put. It. I never heard it like that before. Yeah, I, I can understand it. I mean, um, so moving forward a little bit. Um, after your time uh, with the with the Cowboys, how long was it before you were trained by uh, Skandar Akbar and Scott Casey and uh, Ivan Putski as well? I mean, that's an amazing uh, lineup to be trained by. Well, Scott Casey, I, I don't know who Scott Casey is. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, well, Scott Casey... Yeah, it, everybody, no, everybody says that I would train my, you know, Scott Casey, but I don't even know who that is. He wrestled, um, he wrestled for the WWF in the mid to late 80s, and I'm guessing he maybe wrestled in Texas as well, but I don't know too much about him. But he was like jacked, sort of, um, you know, athletic uh, guy. But it, uh, again, well, I'm going I'm going off your Wikipedia and my knowledge as well. But, yeah, like I say, just correct me on anything like that. Yeah, so. him and um, Skandar didn't train me. I was uh, on his, his, his team, but he didn't train me. Okay. I didn't train me. Um, See, that's who I like, was Johnny familiar Valentine. with. Oh, really? Uh, Johnny Valentine, Ivan Pusky, and Dick Murdoch trained me a little bit. Captain Redneck. Wow. Um, what was it like being trained by Johnny Valentine then? Because he was kind of notorious for, I guess, slow-paced matches that oh, would... Um, really... He was a shooter, brother. Yeah. I remember one time... He got mad at me because I wouldn't ring and I, I wasn't vicious enough. And he called me back to me. He said, didn't I teach you to come down with your hand like this when you hit people? And you cup your hand like this. And he said, come here. And that's when he lost his legs, one of his legs. And um, he said, sit down. So I had to sit down between his legs. He took his hand and said, you do it like this. I swear to you, he hit me so hard until my heart stopped for a second. Shit. Even that strong. <laughs> well, he must have been what sixty at the time, or yeah, he was an old man, man. Yeah. I don't know if he was sixty or seventy, but man, when he did, my heart went. <laughs> See, I, like I, I don't know too much about um, Johnny. Like I didn't realize that he w- uh, was in Texas, where I'm assuming yeah. you, where you got trained. Um, yeah, we were at uh, Mid South Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Um, so Putski, because he lives in Texas now, I think. 
um, still. Yeah. Um, so what did uh, what were the uh, differences in training from Ivan Putsky to uh, Johnny Valentine? Because it must have been quite a massive difference. Well, it, it, uh, Ivan was more technical. Dolly Valentine was more from his days. This more of a shooter, you know. They 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 hit man back then. Yeah. Not like now, where you know we're dancing and giving each other you know kisses and hugs in the ring. Back then, brother, they were. I mean, dinosaur man. Uh, God, I mean, it was hitting hard. The old school. So, I mean, they had to make sure that you were serious as well. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the worst injury? I mean, I know, like, the chops and everything, but did you ever break a bone or anything like that while training? Or uh, No, man. You know, I, I went through it. I mean, you know, you'd be sore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, I, I never had a broken bone or anything. What what specifically led to you going to them to wrestle? Did you did you have any aspirations at all to wrestle at the time? Or yeah, this is going to be funny to you. Okay, how I I got into uh, wrestling with them was me and Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat. Yeah, we were boys, really, really partners. We were um, we lived basically together in the same complex. We lived together. We were uh, security guards together. And then we worked out together every day. And then Ivan Pusky um, opened up a school down the street from us, from where we were living. So Stevie Ray one day was like, man, we got to go try this. And I was like, no, man, I don't, you crazy. I'm not doing no rap. And he said, yeah, let's go try it, man. So we went and tried it, and the rest is history, baby. Yeah, so what what was uh, Booker doing at the time? Was he just doing um, something else at the time, Mark? Yeah, he was just he was just getting out of out of out of prison then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he joined us, mm-hmm. and um, he was good, man. He was he was good. Absolutely, but he was good. Um, so how long did you train with them before appearing on um, Global Wrestling uh, Federation? Um, I would say about a year. Mm. Did you wrestle independently before you went to Global? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I wrestled a lot, man. I wrestled matches for $5. Yeah. And some matches we didn't get paid at all, you know. I can but it, it's, it's part of paying your dues. You know, you got these young kids now uh, bitching and complaining that, oh, I only made this, I only made that. Brother, back in the days, you may get $5. Yeah. Oh, it was just a privilege for you to be able to do it. So, what were the crowds like at the time? Were there, was it packed audiences on the indies before you went to Global? Um, when we showed up in town, it was packed audience count. We would, you know, when we was heels, we would piss people off to no end. <laughs> they would come, man, I'm telling you, one time I got a gun pulled on me by an old black lady. Oh, God. That's what we pissed them off. <laughs> I had an old black lady pull a gun on me. So, what was... What was like the? Um, did you have a character at the time? Because were you like the precursors yeah. to like the gangsters sort of thing? Um, no, I mean we had so many uh, names. I was uh, Black Superman. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't. Modi, Nightbreeder. Stevie Ray was Super Collider. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
The Ray's name was Super Collider. Something and Booker T's name was G.I. Bro. Oh, G.I. Bro. <laughs> so, I mean, was it, was it kind of, um, it wasn't considered, I don't know, uh, like, did you give yourselves those names, the sort of, uh, the black-related names sort of thing? It wasn't considered, like, you know, racist from a promoter or anything like that, or... No, you you know it, it it was wrestling, so you gave you know you pick any name you want. Yeah, you know, or some people the promoter picked the names, but for us, no, we picked our own names. And yeah, you would pick whatever name to get that crowd, you know, in that arena, so you can get paid. Yeah, do you think there were like potential like not clan members, but like sort of you know racist oh, in the yeah, audience. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's where you got your heat. <laughs> sure. When I was a heel, I would be called the word nigga many a time. And I was, and I was a heel brother. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm glad you brought up the N-word. I'm not going to bring it up. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, I'm pissed off them red nigga heels always off, man. <laughs> but what are they going to do, though, when you're, like, 6'4 and built, like, a house? And, you know... Um, oh, they they said it on their way driving out. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, did they? <laughs> and they're cars on the way out the parking lot. Not not. They sat there the whole match and wouldn't say it. Uh, on the way out, they said it. <laughs> did they ever vandalize your, your car or anything like that? Did they ever you know lipstick the headlights or put glue in the no, car like that? That never happened until I was in the WWF. Yeah, we will get into that very much. Um, yeah. The only time that ever happened. Yeah. Um, so you you made your debut on uh, Global um, in I want to say ninety three. Is that correct? Or yeah, somewhere around there. Mm. I'm not sure of the dates. Yeah, yeah somewhere around there. Uh, so in Global at the time was getting national coverage on ESPN. Um, uh-huh. So who discovered you? Was it Joe Pedicino who discovered you? Who was the uh, promoter of Global? Um, uh, yeah, he, he uh, was one of them that, that knows us from the independents. Okay. Yeah. Um, you were one of them. So uh, were you immediately brought in? Were you brought in with Stevie and with Booker at the same time? or? Um, no, I was brought by myself. Okay, cool. So uh, what was the plan? Was it immediately to strap a rocket to you and push you to the moon sort of thing? Yeah, basically. Because uh-huh. it was, they wanted to see uh, Global wanted to see how the crowd was going to react to me, because Devon Ayers had left, mm. and they needed somebody that was going to either get the crowd to hate them, or get the crowd to love them. So, and at that point, I chose to get them to hate me. <laughs> and it, it filled the place up, brother. Mm. They come just to speak at my. I had a lady tell me one time that the reason she was coming. Cause she wanted to see somebody whip my ass. Uh, that, that's she came. You done your job as a heel. If that, um, if that's the case, you became the champion, didn't you, in global? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Um, so you had the uh, the TV coverage. So were they trying to be competitors to the WWF at the time, or were they just happy on a? I, I, I think at that time they were happy just trying to take the place of Mid South mm-hmm. with Paul Bosch. Yeah, you remember when Paul Bosch had a Mid South. Yes, he was he was he Texas. Um, yes, um, yeah, that was too. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I heard. I mean, did you ever get a chance to meet Paul Bosch? Because I heard that he was one of the nicer promoters out there. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, I went, me and Stevie Ray went to a match one time at the Mid South Coliseum, okay. and I loved Ted DiBiase and Doctor Death Steve Williams. I loved when he loaded up at the club. Yeah. And so we're out there, and we're at the, the, the rail, the front of it. And I'm, you know, this kid, and I'm, oh, here they come, here they come. You know, oh, man, I can't wait. And Ted DiBiase, DiBiase, he looked at me and spit on me. <laughs> spit on me, oh, man. man. I was, oh, man. And it was so funny when we got to WWF, here I am sitting, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting up on stage one time, all yoked up, you know, all so big as, he comes up there and sits with me. He don't know me now. He's just like, uh, hey, Ahmed, how you doing, man? I'm good, Ted. How you doing? He said, good. And we're talking a little bit. I said, Ted, let me tell you a story. <laughs> I said, one time when I was a kid, I said, you spit on me at a match. He was like, what? Man, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, man. I mean, that's part of the, the gimmick, man. I just said uh- Brother, he, I, he thought I had some kind of malice about that. <laughs> I'm like, no, Miss Miss Divasi, this is cool, man. Yeah, uh, uh, we're getting to see a lot more Mid South now as well. With uh, WWE have bought the Mid South footage, um, so it's great to see. I love uh, I love Matt Bond. Um He's a favorite of mine. Um, and Mid South is tremendous uh, from everything that I've seen. I wish they could get the global footage. Um, they're globals. Yeah, I, I don't even know who owns that, but um... I'll tell you, if you get global footage, the match you, that you want to get is one time me and um, Bradshaw went at it. Yeah, brother, I can imagine <laughs> that match if you can. You talking about shoot heaven? Everything we respect each other, but we knew we were two ex football players. We know we couldn't go in there and just. Tiddlywink, yeah, everything from the clotheslines to every punch, everything. It was when you, you get it, you'll be like, "Damn, excellent!" So, they uh, not like each other. From what I've from what I've seen and what I've heard as well, that Global seemed to really have it all because they at that time they had Jerry Lynn and they had um, Sean Waltman, you know, uh, having the fast pace. Um, Matches yeah. that you know they had the heavyweights, the you know it just again I don't really know too much about it, but it just seems like a company that yeah. had unlimited potential to. Everybody what, went through global. What Rick went? Flair. What went wrong with uh, global at the time then? You know what they went wrong when they tried to challenge the WWF. Mm-hmm. When they they tried to stand up to the WWF and they didn't have the juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you think do. you should not have the juice for that. You should have kept it mid south country, poor boys type of wrestling. Yeah, but they try to go with the big league and the big boys start bringing in big names and paying big money. And hmm. downhill they went. Did they go out of business while you were there? Um, no, you- I, I, I had left, I was gone by then. I was already in WWF by then, basically. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so WWF obviously had their eyes on global and um, exactly yeah brought in a lot of guys from there. So I mean, um, who was it in 
uh, WWF that first uh, saw you then? Uh, was it a recommendation from another wrestler? Or? Yes. Okay. Michael Hayes. Ah. Michael Hayes brought me in um, to the WWF. He uh, took a guy to tape on me. What happened was Michael Hayes then was in Global at the Freebirds, mm-hmm. and I had a match against the Freebirds. And there was a handicap match. And Michael Hayes was like, man, this dude is a monster. He's awesome. And he told me, he brought back a locker room. He said, I'm going to bring you up uh, to New York, man. I want you, you to meet Vince. And when he said that, I'm like, yeah, right, sure. And he kept his word, man. Mm. It, it's crazy as well because he hadn't been there that long at the time. And it just shows you right. either how persuasive he was or how much pull he was able to get as soon as he right. went up there. But he obviously well-respected. I mean, he's been there, what, 25 years now? Yeah. He he um, did, did. I had to go to tryouts. Um, I did tryout match, uh, dark match uh, in front of. It was up to um, what's IRS. Uh, I, I, I don't care what anyone says. I love the IRS gimmick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's... <laughs> I got done with my match. He told me as soon as I finished my match, he told me, "Go pack your bags. You come with me." Yeah. So... And that that was it, baby. So, I mean, um, what was he, was he very gracious in the ring then? Did he just listen to, or did you listen to him sort of thing and just follow his lead at the time? Because you had yeah, that. Whenever you get in the ring with a vet, you yeah. want to listen to him. Yeah. And he was, again, like I say, very gracious and uh, let you just do what you needed to do to get over, I guess. Because IRS, or uh, Mike Rotunda at the time, will have been on his way out at that point as well because um, you won't have been there much longer when you came in because I don't think right. that was no, no. no 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 you got it wrong I didn't wrestle with him he was the, the agent he was the one in charge of bringing in the talent ah okay okay yeah. my bad and he saw me wrestle uh, they, they brought me in for a dark match and against uh, Jeff uh, Greller and after I got down with the match he just looked at me and said go pack your bags <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. That's pretty that good. So, for the dark match, were you a heel? Oh. Did you know something? And I don't know if you ever noticed this while you, while you watch me wrestle. I never told you guys, the crowd, <laughs> fans, if I was a heel or baby face. This is true. Did I? Yeah, I let y'all choose. Uh-huh. So when I came to that ring every time... I didn't choose whether I was going to be a hell baby face. I let you guys choose because my wrestling style is so heelish. Mm-hmm. But it had a baby face ring to it. Did that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, I get it. And I mean, I think uh, one of the first appearances that you made on screen, you slammed Yokozuna. Like, I, there's not much of a better way to start off than that. Um, do, you, do, you, do you think at the time. Um, it was because Lex Luger had just left at that point and he had previously slammed Yoko. Yoko was lighter, if you can imagine, at the time. Um, right. So was it a way to kind of eradicate the whole Lex Luger thing and, you know, have you do it and be remembered as the person that slammed Yokozuna? See, that's why I like talking to, to guys like you. I didn't ever consider that. Okay. <laughs> I didn't consider that. And, and I did, now you woke me up to something else. It's like the third thing you woke me up to. Um, maybe it was. I, I don't know. 
But he was, I know he was 130 pounds heavier. Yeah. Than and, when Lex did. And your slam as well looked far more legit. And, like, your slam looked like a slam. Like, and Lex, is, Lex's Yoko really helped with the momentum yeah. of it and stuff like he, that. Like, he, he told me he wasn't going to help me. Before the slam, <laughs> we right. were in the locker room and they were, you know, hating on me, kind of jealous of me. And he told me, he said, uh, when you get to that ring, don't expect me to, to jump for you. And I was like, okay, cool. Deep inside, I was shitting in my pants. <laughs> Wonder how I was going to get him up. But when I got to the ring, that I met Johnson kicked in, and I was like, I don't care about help or no help. Boom, bang. I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> I feel like I picked up a Volkswagen or something, man. Uh-huh. So you, you shat, shat in your pants after you picked him up, basically. Oh, before <laughs> and after. It was a devil doo-doo. <laughs> so um, when when you started off as well, you're, I, I don't know if you ever, this is a bit of a obscure question, but when your ring gear was kind of, um, it was long leather pants with the flames on it. Uh, did, uh-huh. you, did you wrestle in those? Or was that kind yeah. of a, okay, yeah. Yeah. Was that, that like, was that like a WWF idea to give you that gear? Or no, that was my gear. They changed it to the uh, to the they, the short shorts. Yeah, to my underwear. They changed it to the underwear. Uh-huh. How did you feel about that? About them changing your look? Oh. oh, I didn't care too much for it. But you know, once again, they were paying my bills. So hey, mm-hmm. if he said jump, I said ah. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you came in during that time, um, was it politics straight away? Because the click was there, etc. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So I can, yeah. was it immediate resistance to this big badass, for all intents and purposes, someone who Vince would love to probably make champion because of your look, etc. and your athleticism. So did Shawn Michaels, etc. feel a bit like, oh, oh my that, God! It was, uh, brother, there was so much hate going on. It was ridiculous. Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels, especially. Uh, I remember him. He was like, you know, the man back then when I first got there. And he, I remember him calling me into uh, the office one time and telling me, uh, "Ahmed, uh, you got to stop doing those uh, high flying moves and them, um, you know, diving over the rope and stuff because that's what I do." Like, what? So what? We both can do it. And he's like, well, see, you're 300 pounds. And when you you, you do it, and then I do it, and I weigh 190 pounds. When I do it, it don't look like anything because a 300-pound guy just did it. Right. So uh, I'm going to have to ask you to stop doing all these high-flying moves. And I'm sure you said, yes, sir, I'll totally uh, do that. (laughs) No, I didn't. I walked out the office and kept on it. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's the thing as well. Like, okay, he does that, but how many just three hundred pounders were there at the time as well who couldn't move for shit? And you know, you nobody but yeah. could do that, man. But but me, as far as I knew, at, at that weight, yeah, never seen it down before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, how were guys like? I mean, because uh, there was the click and there was the BSK and stuff like that. So, were you just completely separated from all of that? Like, okay, yeah. So, who did you immediately get along with? Like Undertaker or Brett or Undertaker? Uh, for sure, Bret Hart. 
Owen, Owen and Davy Boy, for sure. <laughs> and they played so many gimmicks on me, it was a shame. Um, <laughs> Savio Vega, love Savio Vega, man. Mm -hmm. Love Savio Vega. Um, Goldust was cool, man. Real, real cool dude. Yeah. Um, We're going to get into the Goldust stuff as well. That's about, that's about, as far as immediately, and who I really got along with right off the bat was Razor Ramon. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Razor, Razor was about the only one that, that, that tried to help me with my mood. He would watch my matches, and when I got done, he would tell me what looked good, what didn't look good what to do, what I shouldn't be doing. Razor Ramon but was the guy that basically took me on his wings for a while. He does seem to be the, the one member of the clique that people have good things to say about at the time, that he wasn't playing yeah. politics or, you know, like he cared sort of thing, you know. Because um, obviously, I mean, you came in around about the time that Shane Douglas came in and he had nothing but bad things to say. Uh, saying that Razor tried to make him look bad, etc. But at the same oh, time, why would uh, why would someone try to make someone look bad? Exactly. Yeah. The better the better your opponent look in the ring, the better you look by beating them. Yeah. Uh, if I got in the ring with 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 you and you were 110 pounds and I just slapped you around, then I pinned you. What kind of pop are we going to get? Yeah. What kind of heat will we get? None. The fans will be like, uh, but if you were 110 pounds, and I let you throw me around, and boom, 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 boom. And then I stole the pin from you. Boom, they're going to pop. Mm -hmm. So when when you came in, then, would it be fair to say that you were a project of Vince's for a while? Yeah, I was just a project child. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in, as opposed to someone like Shane Douglas, who you know, came in with a stick up his ass and everyone hated him. <laughs> like, did you yeah, get along? You did some things with him at the time. So, like, how did you, did you get along with him okay? Or... Yeah, I, I didn't have any problems with Shane Douglas. Mm -hmm. No, I, I didn't have any problem with him at all, man. Do you think there's that kind of um, non-corporate mentality that some of the guys may have had that may have bonded some guys? Whereas, like, Shawn Michaels, etc., are very sort of, you know, maybe suck up to the boss kind of thing and guys like you, Shane Douglas and some other guys just weren't. You just were there to do your thing. Some guys, brother, were stone ass kissers and there was well, outside of me, who else didn't kiss her? Well, I don't think Taker did, you know, when didn't kiss her ass but, it's, you know, you have some people who did, some people who didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's just like that. So um, immediately uh, you go into a small program with Jeff Jarrett, which kind of like nothing against Jeff Jarrett from my end, but like sort of you you start off slamming Yokozuna, and then you go into a, a feud with Jeff Jarrett. It it just kind of didn't compute, um, especially because you you had the pay per view match and it ended in a disqualification. You got the guitar over the head, and it just kind of it almost seemed like politics were in place at that point to not completely, you know, uh, you know, push well, you, you know. Jeff Jarrett was part of the clique too. Okay. It's not a scene part of the clique. Well, he, he was, the, he was the, the clique child that kept in the background. Okay. Well, and, he, um, he, he and Sean did stuff in Memphis and uh, so they probably go back a little while, I'd imagine. 
Yeah, he was a racist son of a bitch, man. I've heard you say that. So what did he do in particular? Uh, just, oh, I've heard, you know, rumors about him, you know, using the N-word here and there, and he didn't hang out with any blacks or anything, man. And, you know, he just, that was just Jeff Jarrett, man. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just a uh, southern <coughs> hillbilly. Mm-hmm. It didn't last too long. I mean, he was gone shortly after that, but... Like, okay. skip, yeah, skipping ahead a little bit though. I mean, I'm sure you remember when he returned on a raw and did that kind of the shoot interview. Um, and he brought up your he didn't bring you up by name, um, uh-huh. but he made some very questionable remarks on TV as well. So, do you remember that? Because you'll be yeah. backstage at the time. So, what happened when he went back through the curtain? Because he shot on Shawn Michaels, he shot on Austin, um, and However much of that was planned or not, it came across really strong, and I can imagine yeah, it pissed a lot of people it off. Was, like, it was it was planned to a point. Okay, you know what I'm saying, and some of it was just him being an asshole. Yeah, but I, yeah. uh, he was another one that's a coward. Outside the ring, straight coward. In what sense? Just didn't want to. Did you try and confront him about stuff, and he just? Didn't... Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't want to back up what he was saying. You know what I'm saying? Straight. Mm-hmm. If I ever, man, nothing. Let me let me quiet on that. Mm. So well, yeah. Thankfully, he got out of that pretty quickly because um, yeah. He, I don't know why he was gone at that time, but he didn't last too he long. He was boring to me, man. He was just boring. People have said that, yeah. Um, like he wanted to do, you called it, you know, we called a match in the back. He was scared to do high spots. He was scared of me because he thought I was going to rip his head off. Uh-huh. So he was re- running to like a clothesline carefully. He was a careful wrestler and I can't stand careful wrestlers. So did you go around the loop for a little bit? Um, you wrestled a few times on house shows and stuff. Or... On, on who's? Uh, did you wrestle Jarrett on house shows around, you know... Um, yeah, we did a few yeah. house shows. Not, not too many, man. Yeah. Um, not until uh, I thought we were supposed to wrestle in Memphis, but I talked uh, to Jerry Lawler, and he canceled it for me. Only one of Jerry Lawler's shows, NWA. Okay. We were supposed to get together in Memphis and do that, and um, I talked to Jerry Lawler about it, and, and he took uh, gave him somebody else. And I got to wrestle Jerry Lawler, where I beat him for the belt. That's cool. So, how was Lawler then? A lot. Of Lawler, was- he was okay with me, man. He he's kind of you know, he he he's kind of one of the guys too that I think is is scared of certain people mm-hmm. in the biz, you know, and and the clique and you know stuff like that, but. Outside of that, I, I don't have anything bad to say about Lawler. I I think he's the, one of the funniest people on the mic. Mm-hmm. So he's to me, he's one of the best faces and heels. Um, yeah, there weren't many like Roddy Piper could do it, and uh, you know uh, Barry Windham, I thought was amazing as a face and a heel as well. Um, Lawless right. facial expressions. Um, you know, so, so, someone said that you could be sat in the back row. And he could have his back turned to you, and you knew what facial expression he had on his face, you know, uh, just by you know his body language and stuff like that. Just, I, I can imagine Lawler was a night off because he was just that good oh, of a storyteller. Yeah. 
I mean, un, un, unworkable, outstanding. Yeah. He didn't make you work for it, man. He was so long on it. He was he's real light, real light. He made me slam him 10 times in a row. Yeah. 10 times in a row, he made me slam him. And he, he was so light, man. He just told me, don't slam me hard. Don't kill me. Yeah. Go, Take 10 slams for you. Don't kill me. So I <laughs> took care of him. Well, Lola, you know, he, he's one of those uh, guys that could, he, I'd imagine if you took care of him, he would just bump around for you. Because, like, not a lot of people yeah. could bump like Lola. And um, very distinctive bumping style as well. Very realistic bumping style. And, um, yeah, he's just nothing but good stuff. He's coming to the UK quite soon as well, so I'm going uh, to go and meet him. Um, the bumps were, he was like, you didn't have to kill him. He showed you that you can touch me with your finger and I can sell it. Yeah. You know, to the point where the crowd believe that your finger is that strong. He's that type of guy. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just, I, I like old school wrestling, basically. And, you know, I do like that era of WWF as well, um, which probably isn't considered as old school because it kind of set the way for what was to come. Um, right. If you know what I mean. So, like, um, but, yeah, I, I'm far more entertained by someone who can you know, sell the punch, fall outside the ring, you know, hit the ring post and you know, do all of that without having to do the fourth you know, the moonsault off the top rope, hit someone exactly. over the head with a you know, a crazy weapon or anything like that. Just, you know, it's it's about characters and it's about relating to those characters. The moves are incidental to me as a fan. Um it's about you have to want someone to win and someone to lose. And otherwise I don't see the point. Of, you know, you're just watching an exhibition of moves then at that point. And, and I think a lot of wrestlers now, you know, someone calls them video game matches because it's like 10 moves, you know, in 30 <laughs> seconds. You know, you know, you know, I'm an old school fan and, you know, I, I don't care. Because, like, I have friends who are like, you know, oh, did you watch Raw last week? And I'm like, I didn't, to be honest. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it, it, it almost seems like wrong to not be watching it, the new stuff, but I watch the old stuff so much that, you know, right. um, it's just one of those things. Um, so this is why, again, you know, I don't, because the, there'll be people listening and I know I'll sound like Kiss says, I don't care. I'm a big fan of yours. So this is quite a cool thing for me. Um they were they were doing what you they were they were in your shoes. Trust me. <laughs> Actually, I'm not wearing any shoes at the moment. So um. they wish they were they, <laughs> they wish they were in your shoes right now. I promise you. <laughs> um, you want to tell you something? When you have people hating on you, yeah, that's when you know you're doing something right. <laughs> because if you no, because if you wasn't, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. That's but true. when you're doing something good and great, like you get this interview. You're going to have guys talking stone shit about you because they were told no and you were told yes. So not only are they going to hate on me, but they're going to hate on you. Oh, yeah. This is going to, we're going to create some controversy here, but uh, this is good. Um, I, you know, I. You're telling, you're telling me you're my white brother that, that my parents, you know, got with you and got a brotherhood going on. Awesome, man. Well, it's, it's a. Uh, really cool thing for me. Um, well, well, we'll move forward a little bit. Um, your next program was against Goldust. Um, and actually before then, though, um, which really proved that you were on the rise uh, popularity, you won the New Sensation Slammy Award. 
And right. that was that was the only Slammy Award that was fan voted as well. Exactly. Um, so I guess you did you know it was going to happen before your name was announced, or did you? No. Really not know? Okay. Didn't didn't know it at all. It was just when they said it, like boom, you know, I got that. Then um, when Pro Wrestling Illustrated came out. The fans voted me most light behind Shawn Michaels. He won, and I was number two, and Hulk Hogan was number three. Wow. In That's when I knew I had made it. Yeah. Yeah. Consider- that was from the fans' votes. Mm. Yeah, that's... Vote seven, too. That's really cool. So was that the end of 96, I would guess? 96, yeah. 97, 96, somewhere around there. You know more than I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, do you still have your Slammy Award? Uh, um, I think I got it at my other house, yeah. That's pretty cool. It's cool that they let you keep those as well because, you know, it's yeah. it's a genuine thing when, you know, the fans can um, vote for you. So do you think that Vince wanted to see who was going to win that and then maybe get behind whoever, yeah. See, there you go again. I, I didn't think about it like that. There you go again. <laughs> oh, yeah, waking, me up, waking me up to the business. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he wanted to wait and see what the crowd was going to say. Mm-hmm. And because what they say means a lot because they, they, they pay the bills, baby. Yeah. But just, you know, I, I think he gets some unfair criticism at the moment for not listening to the fans. But um, I think the ones that complain about that still are the minority because they're maybe not the ones buying the merchandise or the ones buying the tickets to the show, you know? Um, but yeah, that's just, that's just an opinion. But, um, so not long after that, it, before you went into the thing with Goldust, you won the, uh, Kuwait, um, cup. Oh yes. That was, that was beautiful, man. That was pretty awesome. So what was the, what was Kuwait like? When, were you trapped like royalty over there? Oh yes. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And the only reason I won that uh, uh, cup was because they did a survey over there. Okay. <laughs> I was number one by a long shot as who the Kuwaiti people liked in the WWF. And the votes that came in, I was number one by a long, long. Ben said that the voting was so uneven, they just stopped it. <laughs> so uneven, they just stopped it. There's a there's a, a new DVD that came out. Um, it's like unreleased matches of that era, and unfortunately, huh. your match isn't on that. And I'm sure there's probably a political reason why your match isn't on. But there are some matches from uh, that show, and I think it's like Bret and Undertaker against Owen and Davy, and uh-huh. the crowd are wild for it. I've never seen it, such a man. It was huge out out there at soccer stadium. Yeah. And to have it packed like it was, mm-hmm. it was amazing. Yeah, didn't I think the power the power went out during that show as well, didn't it? I think. Yeah, which was scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, didn't know ISIS was going to get us or what? <laughs> was was stuff like that a legit threat when you went over there? Like a legit possibility? Or... Um. See, okay. they gave us they they gave us pamphlets okay. to warn us. About stuff like that. So yeah, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Wow. They gave us pamphlets, but thing that was funny about it, they didn't give us the pamphlets about bombs and ISIS. They waited until we were in the air, 
halfway there and get some pamphlets. Like we couldn't turn around and leave. Did, did you get worked into going, basically? Yeah. Yeah, we were stuck. <laughs> I hope everyone's enjoying my interview with Ahmed Johnson. I'll be back in a jiffy. Meet Barry. He wanted to get a website for his removal business. He searched online, met a number of web companies, ended up with too many options to take on board. Then he hired a web company. The company built a website, but there were many corrections. The company did not understand Barry's business. Barry then found Planet John. His website was designed and built on one week's time. The site comes with free maintenance and works on laptops and smartphones. We even told the World Wide Web about Barry's business at no extra cost. What are you waiting for? Contact us. www.pltjohn.com And now, back to the shoe. We took a little break to have a drink and you were chatting with your wife. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know that you've been married for a long time. How long have you been together? Um, we've been together, man, for 22, 23 years now. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, she's a, a little skinny, beautiful, big butt white girl. Uh-huh. She's, she's a um, white girl. I have um, two daughters, two mi mixed daughters. And, you know, I have some sons from my previous marriage, but I have um, my oldest daughter, she's mixed, and my youngest daughter is mixed. Cool, man. So it's amazing that, like... But I'm racist. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's one of the people on, on, on the internet say, I'm mad he's very racist. He's so racist. Yeah, I'm racist. I'm married to a white girl. Uh, I have mixed children. Yeah, I'm racist. Yeah. Well, that's the racist. thing. You, you don't give away too much about yourself, I guess. And But it, it it doesn't mean that people should jump to conclusions. But I think exactly. when, when other guys, maybe uh, former wrestlers or whatever, just put shit out there about you, then they're going to believe it because you're not making a rebuttal straight away or anything exactly. like that. You know? Exactly. You don't, or you don't have a chance to even rebuttal about it because it's too late. They already said what they have to say. Yeah. And then some of the crowd just believe it right away, you know? Yeah. Everything we say is not, you know, God given truth. I, I would everything I say, you can take it to the bank and look it up and back it up because I'm never gonna tell you anything but what I feel mm -hmm. or what I know to be true. But that's the other guys. That's cool, man. I mean, and um Like, you know the what's his name? Um what's the guy name he with the click? Oh, um, dog or something. Road dog. Oh, road dog. Yeah. Road dog said this shit um, on an interview that I was a bully or whatever. Brother, I never got into a fight with anyone except The Rock. He's the only one I got ever got into a fight with mm -hmm. in the WWF. So I'm trying to say, where where was I a bully at? I never fought, you know, or even got into an argument with anybody but Jared and The Rock. Teddy Long mentioned something as well, didn't he? I think that overdressed <laughs> monkey, gorilla monkey, he, he chain turning idiot. I don't know what he was talking about. I never even met him. No, you weren't in the company at the same time, so I, I... no, I don't even. I never met him. I don't know nothing about him. Uh -huh. So I don't know what that idiot is talking about. But if he ever come to Houston, I'm gonna make sure I'm there. Well. See that? You got that, Teddy? If you ever come to Houston, brother, I promise to God, I'm going to be where you're at, and I'm going to see if you talk that smack. Mm. 
Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> it's all good. I'm mad. I'm was sleeping. You you woke him up. <laughs> um. Well, let's let's continue to do that. I'm going to piss you off by the end of this interview. I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. So you come back from Kuwait and you go straight into the thing with Goldust. Um. How was that brought up to you? Because, like, I'm sure you're not homophobic or anything like that. But I know Scott Hall had a bit of a problem doing it at the time, and you know. Um, but arguably, your storyline with him went further. I mean, he kissed you on TV for God's sake. No, yeah. right. Um, so, how was that brought up, and what was your reaction? Were you told you were going to would end up with you winning the title? At first, I was very um, upset about, you know, doing that, you know, because I didn't know exactly what the rope, you know, was going to be at the end of that. Yeah. I didn't know I was going to get tighter and thin, but it was Gold Dust. He's a cool dude, man. I was like, you know, it's, it's Gold Dust. He's such a clown. Until I, I, I would have done, done anything for Gold Dust, except I told him. When you give me the kiss, I said, put your hand over my mouth like this. This is my mouth. Uh-huh. This I said, put your hand over my mouth and through your hand. He said, oh, okay, okay, okay. And of course, you know, he didn't do that. This was, actually, li- this was live as well, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, that's why he got me. Because uh, <laughs> he was like, he was whispering to me. This is like, ah, you can't get up. You can't get up. And then he does this gimmick and he goes, you can't get up. You can't get up. And then he, I was like, oh, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> His breath must have, because I would imagine he chewed tobacco and, uh, you know, um, no. it, it can't have tasted nice. <laughs> he, no, he didn't do that, thank God. Okay. But he, I, he, he, was, he's, he was a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Um, was was Bob Holly fine with you choking the shit out of him? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I don't, you know, we didn't rehearse that at all. Really? <laughs> Rejecting him up with one hand up in the air like that. And, but he went for Bob Holly. Just he's just a cool dude, man. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a, he's another cool dude. He's another guy that I would break bread with. I met him last year, and I think um, perception. It's one of those things again that perception isn't reality. He's such a cool. He is. He's a cool dude, and this book is no holds barred as well. I would. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend it if you get the chance. Um, you know, it's very honest, and you know I think that people who he criticized in the book, like Sean Waltman, etc., have mm-hmm. you know admitted it that they were dicks at the time. And um, oh yeah, yeah. sure. So um, sure. yeah, highly highly recommend this book. And um, I know that you have mentioned, I, I like I don't know if you want to go into it, but you have mentioned that you are interested in uh, writing a book as well. Yeah, as soon as I find somebody, a, a writer that, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a good writer because, as you know, my, my story is very personal. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure that this, the writer can feel what I'm saying. I don't want you just to write words on a paper. I want somebody who can make the words jump off the paper into your head and heart. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, my main motivation right now is I want the kids out there who are being abused right now to know you don't have to end it. You don't have to commit suicide. You don't have to turn to drugs. You, you know, can, can, can end up like me, you know, football, wrestling, military. You can, you can do it beyond what's happening to you now. And that's my motivation. So that book 
has to jump into people's chat. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll find a writer that can do that. I'm, I'm doing the book. I have several writers that ask, and I haven't found one yet that I like. There's one on the on the burner, but she's a female, and she just kind of squeamish about when I tell her about the beatings and stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, there's there's two. I mean, I I don't know if we should get into this on air, but there's two that I would recommend, and I mentioned one. It's the guy who co-wrote uh, Bob Bob Holly's book. And um, I'm in personal contact with the guy who co-wrote Kamala's book, um, and he he's a good guy. And the Kamala book, you know, goes into you know a lot of different subjects, including you know race, etc. And um, and it it's again, it's not about um, you know digging the dirt on anyone or anything like that. It's about you know getting to the heart of the matter and. Um, yeah, and he's a bit of a stickler for facts and figures as well. So you know, it would be a real honest, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to pick holes in the book. You know what I mean? Um, from well, like a facts and figures. You know. Contact with me. Yeah, uh, he's, he, he, I did chat with him, and he seemed interested. So this is uh, this is some networking going on here. So um, yeah, I'll, um, yeah. Well, the girl she did um, what do you call it when they they like pre like put the word out, kind of like pre selling the book. Yeah. And right off the bat, there was like six thousand hits that wanted the book. Yeah, six thousand. That's incredible. And that's quite a bit of money, you know. But I'm not going to do it just for the money. I'm going to do it like I've done everything else in my life. Because if I do it, you're going to feel what I'm saying. I don't want you just to hear me. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel me. Well, I saw a really cool uh, YouTube video of you. It was at a youth. Was it a hostel or was it like a classroom and you were given a motivational kind of uh, talk? Uh, to a yeah, I'd, I'd go to the schools and talk to kids. That's good. You know, Again, was, if, if, a thing that people probably don't assume that you do. And No, they don't. Yeah. They don't realize I go to churches and schools and, you know, stuff like that. Because, like you said, they believe the gimmick. Yeah. They believe the racial domination, the Ahmed Johnson thing. They don't realize that it was just a gimmick, people. Um, I'm like that, but not living my life like that, okay? I go to schools. I go to churches. I, I do nothing but help out children and and vets and people I can, do, you know, help out. Mm-hmm. My, my, my passion is children and abuse women and stuff like that is my passion. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome that you're doing that, man. And so, when you were with the WWF, was was religion a big part of your life then, or was it post um, post wrestling when you sort of went that it route? More more post wrestling. Mm-hmm. God, don't get me wrong. God has always been on my heart and, and leader of my life, but uh, I didn't get deeply into knowing who the Lord was until after I stopped wrestling mm-hmm. and start going to church and really getting to know who he was. Did that build bonds with uh, former wrestlers that you used to know who also, you know, turned to uh, religion as well? Or You know, to be honest with you, when I stopped the business and got out of the business, I totally got out of the business. Mm-hmm. I didn't keep in contact with anybody. I talked to Rakishi every now and then, um, and Stevie Ray. 
outside of that, I, I pretty much got outside the business. You know, it might be a few guys I talked to once in a blue moon. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you feel that's like a healthy route that you took then to get away from it as much as possible? Yeah, because I mean, look at these guys who, who are dude that died, man, from overdoses and yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, I, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing as well. The guys that sort of take the overdoses are the ones that still wrestle and want to maintain the physique to still get booked. And not saying that you you know um, haven't remained in shape apart from when you had your back injury, but uh, right. but I mean, like seriously, just jacked oh, no, to bro, the gills well, and you know. No, I- when I had that back injury and I was in the hospital for eight months, yeah. no, I wasn't in shape. I couldn't lift weight. I couldn't get up. Yeah. And that people don't realize, you know, when they get on that T show, I made gang weight back then. He's big and yeah, I did because I, I couldn't get up, bro. I was yeah. in a wheelchair when I came out the hospital. I was in a wheelchair for years. It must have hurt the the um, comments. I'm sure you probably read uh, some oh, of the comments. They were, yeah, some of them. Some of them were, man, but you, you know, it's Ahmed Johnson. I've been through a lot, man. It's just, that gets to me, it's very hard, bro. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the beatings I took growing up, you know, it's, it's very hard to get, to get to me, you know, with words. Thank you to Mr. Ahmed Johnson. That was part one of the interview, part two coming next week. So um, I hope everyone enjoyed that. I hope... Uh, I hope you've learned things from it as well. You know, I, I tried to ask him questions that I don't think he's been asked before. Uh, he, he has been very honest and, you know, just incredibly uh, just open and frank. And just, he just went into, you know, I, I didn't know as an interviewer if I, he told me some of the things that he would uh, want to talk about and um, I was open to anything, you know, if, if he wants to talk about it um, and be open about it and, um, you know, let his fans know about some of the shit he's went through in life. Um, you know, I, I was fine with that. Um, you know, and it's not an attempt to, you know, just get more listens or whatever. You know, I hope people tune in because it is Ahmed Johnson. But, um, you know, like I say, it's not a, it's not a shit-digging expedition. It's, um, it's a chat. And, you know, it's about digging maybe a little bit deeper than your average podcast interview. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I really hope everyone enjoyed that and got something from it. And uh, we'll share it, etc. Part 2 coming next week. Uh, upcoming after that... Uh, I will be having a two-part interview with former WWF photographer Tom Buchanan. And now he worked for the WWF from 1985 to 2001, and he is just a wealth of stories. We go in so many different directions. Um, And, you know, he gives a a different insight into the WWF, um, you know, from not necessarily the backstage stuff i mean we do go into a lot of that but from the marketing aspect and you know how they present themselves um you know just uh, there was a lot of technical stuff in there you know camera work uh lightning and stuff like that you know it, that you know i hope i hope that will appeal to people because it's stuff that doesn't really get talked about too much uh but there were also great stories about you know just about every top name that you can think of from 85 to 2001 um you know we go in so many different directions and uh, i really thank him for his time um that's one thing i found out as well we didn't do this over well i i phoned him from skype uh same with ahmed johnson but 
I rang their landline numbers, and I didn't realise that for just £6, you can do that for a month. It's unlimited. Like, I'm just waiting, like, part of me was waiting for, like, the massive bill to come. And it, it isn't, it's £6 to call international landlines. That's just mind-blowing to me. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool. Um, yesterday, I confirmed, I, I don't want to give a name quite yet, but certainly one of the biggest names in lady wrestling that there has ever been. Um, she has confirmed um, it's just a case of, I know that she's busy, she is a little ill at the moment, she'll get over it, um, you know, she said that, you know, she's, she's tough as hell, she'll get over it, um, and there's nothing too serious, but, uh, we will be, we'll, we'll be doing it, it's gonna be awesome, and she's one of my favourites as well, um, and, of course, uh, coming up at the end of the month, there will be Turnchuckle with myself and Colin Delaney. And we are working on guests as well, because uh, Colin's connected. You know, I mean, not just working for WWE at the time. Uh, you know, he wrestles all over the place on the indie scene. And he wrestles with, uh, you know, big names, um, you know, who aren't currently with WWE, but still wrestle independently. So we are working on names. Um, and, you know, I have, uh, for those who are interested, you know, I don't just interview wrestling personalities. I interview musicians, actors, authors, filmmakers, uh, comedians, um, you know, all kinds. You know, if I'm a fan of theirs, I want to have an excuse to chat to them. That's a great, great thing about the podcast. It's such a great medium that you can sort of uh, do this and hopefully, you know, these people don't need the exposure. You know, they are helping the podcast. They are bigger than I will probably ever be. So I really, really appreciate their time. And um, I know that they enjoy chatting, which is really cool. Um... If you'd like to support the show, um, as I said, you can you know check out my music, toxicmelons.bandcamp.com. Uh, there is a big green button at the top of the page uh, that says become a patron, where you can, I mean, basically, you know, give me some money, <laughs> which like I always feel awkward about asking about. Um, but if you would like to support the show, you can do that, but you can also become a sponsor, uh, which, you know, I think it's a more healthy business relationship. Um, you know, I always say that if you're going to give me money, then at least buy my music so then I can give you something in return. Um, but if you would like to become a sponsor or buy some advertising space, etc., um, I do that at an incredibly cheap rate if anyone is interested. You know, it's something that I'm trying to build. I like to get on the ground floor with uh, companies who are building as well and want to co collaborate, basically. Um, because, you know, it's it's just hard as shit becoming self-employed and building something up from scratch. So if we can help each other out, then that's, that's a great thing in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, so again, um, you know, like comment, share, download, uh, check out Pablo's pop and podcast on Facebook, join the page and you will be kept up to date with, uh, new guests etc uh, and you can submit questions for guests as well you can only do that through the Pablo's Pop and Podcast Facebook page um, this show will probably end up on more platforms going forward because again I want to um, grow the podcast as much as possible there will be a YouTube channel where I probably will post some highlights of each interview um, and uh, yeah I hope you all check that out as I continue to grow if you have any uh, suggestions for what you would like to see from the show or if you have any advice on how you know to market the show because again i'm doing this from scratch so i really appreciate any advice any criticism one person did say that i was the worst interviewer of all time uh, on a certain episode because uh you know 
I'm not bitter about it. I think it's funny. Uh, but no, I appreciate feedback like that. You know, uh, they were waiting for me to ask one question and then I asked it and then I kind of interrupted the answer and it's like, okay. But that person, the guest, was on Facebook so they could have asked them themselves if they wanted to, but meh, whatever. Um, so yeah, um, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you and um, I really appreciate it. So before I go, um, I'm going to play you a track from my drummer's other band. Uh, my drummer is called Jack Johnson. No, not that Jack Johnson, different Jack Johnson. Uh, he has an incredible band called Hive Mind, and this is from their latest release. It's called Gods and Guns and uh, they are currently in a nationwide competition uh, to win like, you know, uh, recording equipment and uh, to record with the Pogues and uh, you know at their studio etc so you know I really hope they do well and they are so cool and they will do well I'm sure they will um, so if you like them you can check out their music at the link below uh, for Hive Mind and uh, yeah this is called Gods and Guns and I shall see you all next week for part two of my epic interview with Mr. Ahmed Johnson okay thank you bye <laughs>
Goodbye. Goodbye.